Well, as we begin the uh, holiday season, Christmas season, we're going to be uh, looking at a couple messages apart from getting out away from Romans for a couple weeks. And uh, this morning we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 2 and a message entitled, Seek the Way of the Wise Men. I'm reminded of an illustration of eccentric billionaire Howard Hughes. He owned uh, several casinos in Las Vegas, and when he died, in honor of this man um, who invested so much in that city, uh, several of the casino owners asked the managers uh, to take a moment of silence in honor of Howard Hughes. And so there was a appointed time, and the message went out over the public system, the uh, PA system in all the casinos, and uh, it explained that he had passed away, and we want to take a moment of silence to honor this man. And all of a sudden, for a brief moment, all the noisy casinos uh, fell silent. Housewives stood uncomfortably clutching their paper cups of coins at the slot machines, at the crap table. Stickman cradled the dice and the crooks of their wooden wands. And after a brief time, the pit boss looked at his watch, leaned forward and whispered to the stickman, okay, roll the dice. He's had his minute. Some respect. You know, when I think of that illustration, I think of the busyness of the Christmas season. (laughs) I mean, we're all prone to give some shallow respect to the Lord this time of year. I mean, how could you not? Uh, We get caught up in sometimes the, the rush of shopping. For those of you who still send out Christmas cards... Uh, sending out Christmas cards, decorating the house, uh, maybe having guests or neighbors over, family members, entertaining guests in our homes. And then in the midst of all this rush that goes on, we rush off to church (laughs) and we sit through a service or two thinking, well, we got to get this done and got to get that done. And we rush out the door to get on with our tasks thinking, well, we gave the Lord his minute. <laughs> Let's move on. But, beloved, I'm here to tell you this morning that the sovereign God of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ, deserves more than just a minute. He deserves to reign in our hearts as our Lord and King, not just on Christmas, but every minute of the day, of the year. Now, this morning we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and we're going to be looking at these magi, these wise men, and they can teach us a lot of things, and we're going to look at some of the things that they can teach us this morning. And so, if you turn to Matthew chapter 7, I just want to read our text for us, and then we'll continue with the message. It says in, Matthew records here in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, or magi, from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, 
Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it was written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Well, I want to look this morning, first of all, in way of introduction, is who were these guys? They can teach us a lot Now, we sing the Christmas carol, We Three Kings of Orient Are, right? Um, Well, they were not most likely kings, and we don't know for sure that there was even three of them. There could have been more. It only says that they gave three types of gifts. Now, it tells us also that they didn't show up until the manger on the manger at the, t- the night of Christ's birth, like we see in the, the uh, nativity scenes. But it says that they arrived at the house probably some months later. And we don't know what country they came from or if they rode camels. The best guess is that they were from a prominent class of royal advisors in Persia who apparently studied astronomy and astrology and science and religious matters. And so in that aspect, they were wise men. In the book of Daniel, the word here is is used of a class of men who interpret dreams. In Daniel chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 5. And they give divine messages to the king. Uh, Perhaps they had heard about the Messiah from the Jews scattered throughout the the country uh, since the captivity. They may have read the prophet Daniel since he was a pretty prominent leader in, in Babylon and Persia centuries before. Somehow they came to understand who the Jewish Messiah was. And through this special star that God provided for him, God had revealed to them where the Messiah was to be born. We don't know what this star was exactly. Some say it could have been a phenomenon like a, uh, two planets converging and providing a great light, but this thing moved. So I think it was 
nothing more than the Shekinah glory of God that led them over where the child was. Now, the Apostle Paul records in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 these verses, beginning in verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is, is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Now, it doesn't say that there's no wise men, because he says not many of you were wise, Paul says, by worldly standards. And that's a true observation. A lot of us aren't wise. We may think we're wise in our own eyes, but we're really not. But these men truly had some knowledge. And the Christmas story here tells us that from the beginning of the the, the, the Christian era, there have been some who were wise. Some who were of what we would call noble birth. Some who were influential. And these individuals came and actually they wanted to worship this little baby, Jesus. We call them wise men or magi. They came from the distant east, like I said, probably Persia. Now, we're told here that they bring gifts, and they bring three gifts. And, uh, you know, a lot of times when you get a Christmas card or something like that, you see these three kings presenting gifts to this tiny little child in a, in a nativity set, in a, in a manger. Um, we don't know who these guys were, to be honest. I mean, nobody does. You can read a bunch of different commentaries and get different ideas. There may have been more than three, as I said. But we know that they brought these, these three, three gifts. And the first gift they brought was one of gold. And the reason they brought that is because that's really the medal of kings. It's a royal gift. It's appropriate gift for the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, when gold was presented to Jesus by the men of Persia, it was an acknowledgement to his right to rule. They were literally acknowledging his lordship. Uh, William Barclay says this about uh, this, this section of, of Scripture where it talks about them giving the gift of gold. He says, It was the custom in Persia that no one could approach a king without a gift, and that gold, the king of metals, was the proper gift for a king of men. And you can talk to archaeologists over there, and they'll say, Yeah, whenever we found... A, whenever we find a uh, grave and there is gold in the tomb, we know without a shadow of a doubt that this was somebody of royal heritage. Somebody who apparently was uh, a king, maybe. So they brought him, they brought him gold. Secondly, they brought him frankincense or incense. And this speaks of really the worship of God, not just his kingship, but they, they were there to worship him. Um, 
it's easy to see why incense is a significant symbolic gift for such one as Christ. Uh, Incense was something that was used in the temple worship. It was mixed with oil. It was used to anoint the priests of Israel. And it was blended into what they had, what they called meal offerings. And these meal offerings were presented to the priests by the people to be offered as a thanksgiving offering, as praise, a gift to God. And this incense gave the offering a a pleasant smell, pleasant odor. Uh, You remember in Philippians chapter 4, verse 18, Paul says that his life, he wanted them to be a sacrifice, calling them to be a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. So in presenting this second gift of incense or frankincense, these men, either intentionally or unintentionally, who knows, they pointed out that this baby, this Christ, child, Jesus, was our great high priest. The one whose entire life was going to be pleasing to his father. If you study out this idea of incense and sacrifices, what you find out is that incense was never mixed with what they call sin sacrifices, sin offerings. It was only mixed with meal offerings, which was an offering of thanksgiving. If you had a sin offering, it was an offering made with a lot of times of meat or or wine. And only meal offerings which were not offered for sin in any way, contained this incense or frankincense. And when you think naturally of Jesus, who this incense was given, he was the one who was what? Without sin. He was perfect. He lived, he came, he lived a perfect life in every way. In John chapter 8, verse 46, he says, Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? He calls out those who were attacking him, his enemies. And he challenged them. And they said, hey, you know, point it out. And they were speechless, the Bible says. And earlier he says, I always do what pleases my father. Do you always do what pleases the father? I don't. I don't think any of us could say that. That 24-7 we're living lives that are pleasing to the father. We sin. We fall short. And since the Lord Jesus Christ was the only sinless one, it was very fitting for these kings, these magi, these wise men to acknowledge that and to offer this incense to him that acknowledged his sinlessness. Donald Gray Barnhouse says this, We see from the symbolism of these gifts that eternal royalty and holiness of Christ were announced from his earliest years. He had come forth from heaven to perform the work of redemption, and he was prepared in every way to do the Father's will so that he might fulfill every demand and obligation of the law. Thus only would he become eligible to die on the cross, and by that cross alone redeem the world. That life would show that he was the fit candidate for the cross, And we cling with surety to the work that was accomplished there at Calvary since we know that our sin bearer was himself without sin, end quote. That's so true. If Christ would have just messed up in one little tiny area, 
It would have disqualified him from not only being the Savior, but from really being God. And the third gift they brought was myrrh. This was interesting. It's a gift of death. That's what it really shows. Um, gold spoke of kings of Christ's kingship. The incense spoke of his perfection in life. And myrrh spoke about his death. Uh, myrrh was used in embalming fluid. And a lot of times it was different back then. They did things differently, but they would wrap a body in cloth and anoint it with myrrh and aloe and different things to prepare the body for burial. And sometimes, you know, 100 pounds of this combination were used on just one body. So a tremendous amount of myrrh must have been constantly bought and sold for funeral arrangements back in the day. In Revelation chapter 2, we read of the city of Asia Minor called Smyrna. And the name is actually the Greek word for myrrh. It's the same word. And the city was called Smyrna because its chief industry was the manufacture of myrrh. Now, when you stop and think about it, this is kind of an awkward gift. (laughs) Think if we had a baby shower for a woman in the church was either had her baby or about ready to have her baby. And as a gift, you brought a gift certificate for a funeral plot. I mean, even though that's a practical gift, really, I mean, sooner or later, the child's going to die, right? So some people go, hey, thanks, I don't have to worry about this. But that would be very awkward. That would just be wrong in every sense. And yet, really, that's what they were bringing. They were bringing to Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus, myrrh. They were showing Basically, that they understood that one day, as Psalm 22 describes the death of crucifixion, that the Lord would endure. And he would cry out one day, my Lord, or my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Isaiah chapter 53 says in verses 4 and 5, Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken smitten, stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we have been healed. We are healed. See, Jesus came to suffer for our sin, and his suffering was symbolized by this gift that these wise men brought. Um, there's another use of myrrh in the ancient world that's important here. It was a use the Lord Jesus Christ refused. You think about when he was crucified, when he was hanging on the cross. It says that the soldiers offered him wine mixed with myrrh. Remember that? Mark chapter 15. And Jesus refused it. Because myrrh was kind of a a crude uh, anesthesia. It kind of... Helped you deal with dead and pain. And Jesus wanted to endure the full extent of suffering on the cross. So he didn't want any pain relief in any way. He was willing to bear all that suffering and that death 
all what it entailed. William Barclay says this, gold for a king, frankincense for a priest, and myrrh for the one that was to die. These were the gifts the wise men, and even at the cradle of Christ, they foretold that he was to be the true king, the perfect high priest, and in the end, the supreme savior of men. Well, these men were wise enough to seek Jesus. First of all, I ask you the question here this morning, are you wise enough to seek Jesus? Are you wise enough to acknowledge who he is? Secondly, they were wise enough to seek information about him. Uh, They were wise enough to learn from others, you might say. Now, these were wise men. Okay, they were in their own country, the ones whom people came to them for information. They, they had people coming to them all the time, asking them questions, whether it was about the stars or culture, whatever it might be. They were very intellectual people. And sometimes people in that position are hindered by pride. But not these wise men. In this story, they actually seek information out. They stand meekly as genuine disciples when the chief priests and the teachers of the law opened the scriptures and read to them from Micah 2, 5, 2. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. So at some point in their lives, they sought information about the Christ child. And they were able to uh, seek this information out. And God showed them that, you know what, this, this is what you need. This is the information you need. Now, the people didn't help too much uh, when they asked the, the different questions because it was, it was kind of tough to get information about what was going on. And so they just gave them general information. And when they came and they said, where is he who has been born of the king of the Jews? For, they, for we saw his star rise. And when Herod heard this, it says he was troubled. Well, they not only sought information, they were wise enough to worship Christ when they found him. So these wise men were truly wise. And the first thing we see here in this text, not just about who these guys were, but The seeking process always begins with God, not us. See, sometimes we believe that somehow we're the ones doing all the seeking. We're the ones that are searching God out. And we may think that in our own mind, but the Bible clearly says over and over, there's none who seeks for God, not one. All of sin falls short of the glory of God. Uh, 1 Corinthians, as I read, shows us that no one comes to God because of his own wisdom. But rather that God chooses the foolish things, he says, of the world to shame the wise. You know, the factual reason these wise men sought out Jesus was that God took the initiative by revealing to them a supernatural sign in the heavens. This star, whatever it was, and it connected them with the birth of the Jewish Messiah. 
Now, when you stop and you think about that, you know, that's God working on their behalf. That's God revealing to them certain information. He's seeking them out. And the Bible really uh, shows us that God is sovereign in all these things. It's the, the sovereign God who spoke the universe into existence. He has control over every human destiny. And the fact that this God came down and he used what we call a star to speak to some stargazers, it shows us the grace in the heart of God when he seeks out a sinner. Because he always stoops to our level and he always meets us there. You know, one thing learned early on is when you're dealing with children and you're talking to children. You know, you don't walk up to a little child and say, what are you doing today? Da, da, da. You know, you get down, you bend down, you talk to them. So you're eye level with them and it, it puts them at ease. God has done that through the Lord Jesus Christ. He shines his light on us so that we can understand it, so that we can respond to that light. I mean, that's what the, the Christmas story is all about. That the eternal God took on human flesh. So that he might, as Matthew one twenty one says, save his people from their sins. Well, you might be sitting here today and say, well, that's all good, but we do not and cannot seek God until he first seeks us. But what if he hasn't sought me? <laughs> what am I supposed to do in the meantime? Just sit around and wait for some special star to appear? <laughs> But let me tell you, the fact that you're sitting here right now hearing these words proves the very fact that God is seeking you out. He's providing information for you. You may not even totally have discerned it yet. But God sought these men out through a miraculous sign in the sky. And he uses a lot more common means to seek lost people through the preaching of his word. The crucial question is simply this. How are you responding to God's seeking? Are you responding to God's seeking? Psalm 14.1 says, The fool responds by saying, In his heart there is no God. I pray that you wouldn't be foolish this morning, that you would respond. Secondly, the seeking by God demands man's response to seek Jesus as their king. It's not good enough to just say, well, God seeks us out. We need to respond. We have to respond to God's seeking. God sought these wise men, but they had to respond by what? Seeking his king, by seeking the Savior. They couldn't just stay where they were in Persia and just say, well, yeah, we see the star, but we're not going. <laughs> that, wouldn't, that wouldn't be good. A couple points here. Wise men seek Jesus as king in spite of difficulties. In the process. I mean, you think of these, these gentlemen who traveled a difficult journey. It's not like they hopped on a bus. Okay. I mean, they walked. And a lot of times we, you know, on, on Friday, we got up at three in the morning, got on a plane at 5 a.m., went to my nephew's change of command, and we were back home by midnight. 
it's a full day, but you can do it. You couldn't do that back then. So this took planning. This took sacrifice on their part. It may have taken them weeks or months to find the Lord Jesus Christ. They were pretty well-to-do men. They used... They were, they were used to having a nice home, probably comfortable dwellings. So they gave up all their comforts. You know, when you travel, you give up the comforts of home. Well, they did this. There's no cars, no holiday inns, not even a McDonald's on the way. They had to provide everything for the trip. And the nights were cold and dark and filled with the danger of robbers And when they finally got to Jerusalem, they had trouble getting directions to the right place. (laughs) I mean, why, why go through all this hassle? What was in it for them, you might ask? Were they looking for some help to solve some of their personal problems? Maybe they could get a position in this new king's high court. No, they couldn't even talk with this king. He was probably between one and two years old when they arrived. It would be about 30 years before he began his public ministry. There wasn't anything there in the trip for these wise men. They didn't say, we we have seen his star in the east and we have come to get something from him. (laughs) That's not what they did. They said, no, we came to worship the king. The point is simply this. When God is seeking you, you should do everything it takes to seek him. Do everything to return that. Whatever the hassles, whatever the difficulties. And you want to do that for one reason. Because he alone is the living God. And he's worth all the troubles that it takes for you to find him. (laughs) And if you seek God with an attitude... I'll follow him if he makes my life go better. Or I'll follow him if he gives me my best life now. Or I'll follow him because I'm looking for some kind of genie that I can get stuff from. That's not the living God, beloved. The wise men got more, their lives got more difficult when they decided to seek Jesus as their king. And I'm just here to tell you that may happen to you as well. But secondly, the wise men not only sought Christ through these these difficult process, but they sought Jesus as king in spite of the disinterest of others. I mean, can you imagine how these guys felt? They traveled all this way for weeks, months, to worship this newborn king of the Jews. And when they arrived in the Jewish capital where the king would someday reign, they figured... Expecting the city to just be, wow, the king is coming. Wow, he's born. And they began asking, where is he? We've seen his star in the east. And the street vendor says, what are you talking about? Who? Who? Who are you looking for? You want to buy some stuff from me? I don't know who you're talking about. They ask others, where's your newborn king? And they just get shrugs and funny looks. So they think we must be asking the wrong people. (laughs) So they rush over to the temple precincts and they ask the rabbis, where is your king? But the rabbis don't know of any newborn king. 
And they just say, yeah, go ask Herod. Maybe he knows something about the king. And that's where they end up, at Herod's palace. I mean, think if we had somebody visiting the Bay Area, and they traveled a long distance to get here. And they met you, and you live here. And they said, you know, the one thing, the only thing I want to see in this area is the Golden Gate Bridge. That's all I'm here for. I just want to see the Golden Gate Bridge. And you go, what? What's what's the Golden Gate Bridge? Wait, you live here? Oh, yeah. You don't know what the Golden Gate is? You don't know where it's at? No. That would be really odd. And see, that's kind of the oddness of this story. And so Herod heard that there might be a newborn king of the Jews. He was not disinterested, was he? (laughs) He was very interested. He was troubled, the Bible says, and all Jerusalem with him. See, he was troubled because he thought, well, who is this guy? And he was a tyrant, and he would eliminate anybody who had any kind of competition challenging his rule. I mean, by the time he died, beloved, this guy had murdered his brother-in-law, his mother-in-law, his wife, and three sons, not to mention all the male babies in Bethlehem. Probably a lot of other people as well. This was not a good fellow. So you can see why he's getting troubled. What do you mean there's a king? Somebody else? Well, the wise men weren't put aside by this. See, they weren't worried about other people who were not interested in this Savior, in this newborn king. They said, you know what, we're going to still seek him out. There's a lot of people today, you talk about Christ, they think you're a fanatic. But you know what? I don't really care. (laughs) I'll be a fanatic. It's very important to understand that God is the only God that we have. And Jesus, the last time I checked, is the only Savior that we have. It's not a multiple choice question. Well, thirdly, wise men seek Jesus as king in spite of disappointments. Not just difficulties in the process, not just disinterests of others, but also in spite of disappointments. I mean, think about it. These guys were advisors to kings in Persia, these wise men. They were used to being in royal settings with all the plush surroundings. And after seeing the star of the newborn king of the Jews... They started their long journey. They probably had some expectations before they got there. I mean, not every king has a star announcing his birth. Can you imagine? I mean, think of the way we announce births today. We don't even do it before the child is born. We do it after the child is born, usually. They went to Herod's palace, but the newborn king was not there. Maybe he's in one of the king's vacation homes. Maybe he's somewhere else. They didn't know. But what did they find? They finally found this newborn baby in verse 11. It says, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. So by the time these guys arrived on scene, Mary and Joseph had moved from this stable where the baby was born into more permanent quarters. 
But it was a common house in Bethlehem. They were common, working-class parents. When they looked at the baby child, Jesus, he was probably a common-looking baby. He didn't have a fancy robe on. He didn't have a bunch of attendants. He didn't live in a palace. There was nothing about Christ that hinted even of a, of a bit of royalty in his blood. And yet, look at what it tells us they did. It says these wise men, what's it say? Fell down and worshipped him. Fell down and worshipped him. This little baby. Notice it says they worship Christ, the child. They didn't worship Mary. That's an important point. Now this took some faith on their part. Because they'd been to Herod's palace. They saw all the splendor there. They didn't bow down and worship Herod. And here in this common setting, they find this couple with their child... He didn't hop out of the, you know, the little cradle there and he's crawling around or whatever and start performing miracles for him. He didn't have that little halo that we see in pictures around his head. There weren't angels hovering overhead. And yet, it says here, they still fell down and they worshipped him. And they presented him with these treasures. If they were disappointed, that didn't let it keep them. From worshiping and bowing down before King as Jesus. You know, I'm here to tell you this morning. If you're seeking Christ as your Savior, as your King, as your Lord. You know what? There's going to be some disappointments along the way. It's not perfect. Okay, sometimes after you come to Christ, you have more trouble then than you did before. You're probably not going to find King Jesus to be all that you expected him to be. Because you know what we expect today? We expect all of our problems to be quick or to be uh, fixed quickly. And like I said, I don't know about you, but after I got saved, I had more problems then than I did before. I was dealing with a family that was being misunderstanding and confrontive about my desire to, to follow Christ. To leave the church that I was raised in. And then I told them I was coming to California to go to Bible college. They thought I was joining a cult. They said, what are you doing? Have you lost your mind? After I got baptized, I unadvisedly, while at my baptism, my nephew, who said he came to Christ, he wanted to get baptized too. So I said, sure, let's get baptized. So we got baptized together. And I went back to my brother's house, who's, he's the one who raised me. He was the oldest in our family. And on my mother's dying bed, he promised my mom that he would raise all of us in the Catholic faith. That's what was on his shoulders. I didn't know that at the time. So I came marching home from my baptism, you know, walking on water, thinking, man, I'm baptized. This is great. My new life in Christ. And even my nephew got baptized with me. And I went to my brother's house and we went in and I started to tell him and he said, get out, get out. I said, what? Get out of my house. How dare you take my son and have him baptized in another church? We patched things up pretty quick. But you know what? That was a very traumatic thing. 
Things didn't just automatically get better. It got worse. And sometimes that happens. So wise men, wise women, seek Jesus as their king in spite of difficulties, in spite of disinterest of others, and in spite of disappointment. And the last thing here, wise men seek Jesus as king in spite of their own dignity. I mean, these guys were very important at home. They had servants. They had all kinds of things. And yet here they are bowing down on a dirt floor, probably in a modest home in Bethlehem, before this little baby, this little child, proclaiming him to be the sovereign and king. Verse 10 tells us that they saw the star as they left Jerusalem bound for Bethlehem. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I mean, these guys were excited. And when they got to the house, they weren't hindered by their own pride or their own background by saying, oh, we can't bow down and worship anybody. No, they fell to the ground and they worshiped the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody as prideful as Herod would never be found bowing in the dust. The scribes in Jerusalem knew nothing of these guys' worship of the Christ. These guys bowed when it was proper in the temple in front of others so everybody could look at their piety and say, oh, look at how religious they are. But there was nobody there watching these wise men. The Magi bowed to worship this infant whom they confessed as their king, even though he was not acknowledged even by his own people. Now, we no longer worship Christ as this babe in Bethlehem, but we worship him as what? The risen, sovereign Lord of heaven and earth. And one day, beloved, he's returning in might, in majesty, to reign forever. We need to set aside our dignity. We need to set aside our pride that keeps us from bowing before this king. Worried about your reputation? What would others think if I got carried away and actually worshipped the Lord Jesus Christ and was more concerned with his, for his plan for my life than, than my own? They may have lost their dignity, dignity, these wise men, but they gained Jesus as their king. Well, after these wise men left their gifts, they departed for their own country. Notice they didn't set up a shrine. <laughs> they didn't start to charge in mission. Hey, see the Savior, the King, the child of God. They didn't write a book about their trip. It says they quietly returned home and they went on with their lives. But there's something different about them now. They were men who by faith had seen the king and they worshipped him. See, that's what the Lord would have us do this Christmas. To respond to his initiative in our lives. That he sent his son by seeking his son, Jesus, as our king, as our Lord. In closing, there's three types of people here. There are those who are like Herod, who hear of Jesus and they're hostile to him. They want to eliminate Christ from their life because he threatens their control of things. 
Well, there are also those who are like the Jewish priests and scribes who know about Jesus. They can even quote Bible verses about him. But they're indifferent to him. They don't go out of their way to seek him. And then the last group are those who are like these wise men or these magi. They respond to the light that has been given to them. And they overcome every hindrance until they find the Savior and fall at his feet in worship. See, that third group, these wise men, are those whom we want to follow. We want to seek their way. Maybe you're not in the third group, but you'd like to be. What should you do? There's a man by William Law, 18th century devotional writer, and he gives us the answer, and he says this. When the first spark of a desire after God arrives in your heart, in your soul, cherish it with all your care. Give all your heart unto it. Follow it as gladly as the wise men of the east followed the star from heaven that appeared to them. It will do for you as the star did for them. It will lead you to the birth of Christ, not just in a stable at Bethlehem of Judea, but to the birth of Jesus in your own heart. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, we pray that you would just continue to minister your grace to us each and every day. And Lord, as we embrace this Christmas season, Father, I pray that we would look around us for those who may not completely understand what this season is all about and convey to them the truth of the gospel of Christ, that we are lost, that we are stuck in our sin, that there's no hope. We can't just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and and try to make ourselves better. That's not going to work. But you provided a way through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect God-man who came and lived on this earth and then gave up his life willingly on a cross to pay for the sins of your people. And Lord, if you're seeking men or women or even children here today, Father, I pray that you would speak clearly to their heart, that you would draw them as only you can do before you and show them their need of a Savior, that they'd be willing to turn from their sin and turn to the Savior acknowledging you as Lord and King. We ask that you do that work this morning even. We pray for our meeting following our brief time of fellowship, for our church meeting, and pray that you would just lead and guide through that. We thank you for your faithfulness to this congregation over the many years. And we pray that you bless us as we depart. In Jesus' precious name, amen.